talk about what motivates us to serve God. What causes us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ desire to serve him, that causes us to desire to remain faithful to his calling on our lives, especially in light of the view where we realize, and, and quite frankly, that the world hates God. The world hates God. Those of us who serve God and desire to serve him and desire to live for him uh, and preach the cross, uh, God's word is very clear that the, the world thinks it's foolishness. The world is going to uh, hate us for doing that. Uh, the Lord Jesus told us that the world uh, would hate us, and it does. And I truly believe that our faith, that our beliefs are about to be challenged in ways that we have never seen before. The issues that I think we're about to face hopefully are going to strengthen our resolve as those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is going to strengthen our resolve to faithfully serve him, to dedicate our lives to him, and understand just how important it is that we understand that he is Lord, that he owns us, that we've been bought with a price, that we don't belong to ourselves, and regardless of what is on the horizon, our hope, our desire is to serve him faithfully. I remember as a kid growing up, one of the first songs that I was ever taught, and I guarantee you, you were probably taught the same song, and it's from Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, where it talks about this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! Well, folks, if there's ever been a time for us to let our light shine for Christ, to recognize, to understand that we are lights, we are the light of the Lord, it's these times in which, which we live. We're not going to let Satan... Blow it out. How many of you remember learning that song? Anybody want to sing it as a special now? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Folks, that's what God is calling us to remember and to make sure that we do today is not hide that light that we have in Christ to be a witness of His grace, to be a witness of His mercy, to let this world that is so dark and steeped in sin understand that there is a light to be had, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that Christianity has become illegal. 
after a terrible, terrible disaster that's taken place in the capital, you and other believers have been blamed for that disaster, for that catastrophe. You've been falsely accused of that disaster. And your very faith is the cause of the execution that you, you face. That's a pretty frightening scenario, isn't it? Scary times. And your most influential leader has been in prison and is awaiting execution. Kind of wonder, with that type of scenario, how could you come together and sing this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine, knowing that there's someone who desperately desires to snuff it out, not just blow it out. But it was that exact scenario, that situation, that the apostle finds himself as he's writing his last epistle to Pastor Timothy. He's writing to this young preacher. Rome has burned while Nero fiddled. Remember that? Actually, Nero had a mental disorder. He did. So, not going to go any further, but Nero had a mental disorder. And the Christians were blamed and rounded up, thrown to lions, thrown into gladiator arenas, while crowds cheered their destruction, made more of a sporting event. Evil reigned during that time. And we can only surmise that Paul is, he is enduring his second imprisonment because of Rome burning and, and Christians being blamed and needing a scapegoat. So Paul is in prison for the second time. And it's while he's in prison that second time that he writes to Timothy. And it's under these troubling conditions, these troubling times, that Paul writes his final letter to Timothy, and he tells him, write out, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Hey, these times in which we live are concerning for good reason. Who knows what's on the horizon? But see, God does not call us to worry about what's on the horizon. God does not call us to worry about what could happen, what may happen. God calls us to faithfully serve Him regardless of the circumstances, the conditions, because at this time, as Rome had burned and the believers were being persecuted, I mean, we realize that in, in Nero's palace, that Christians were being used as human torches to light his gardens while they had parties. Folks, that's persecution. But yet they remained faithful and they served God and they witnessed and they understood that what counted, what meant something, was their faithfulness to God, knowing that they had been redeemed, that heaven was their home, that the battle had been, had been won. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 7 and 8, we hear that for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Folks, I'm here to tell you, where there are afflictions, there is the power of God. When there are troubling times, there is the grace and mercy and long-suffering. There is the power of God at work in our lives. And that's the point that Paul was trying to make to this young preacher who was pastoring this church. They're in Ephesus at the time. It was here that Paul was telling them and assuring them that God has not given them the spirit of fear. Just a little bit before this, during his first imprisonment in Rome, he was writing to the church in Ephesus, and there was persecution going on then also, but not like it was during this time when he was writing to Timothy. But there was persecution going on in, uh, in Rome, and Paul is in prison, and it's there to the, the church in Ephesus that he instructs them that, that they are to redeem the times, for the days are evil. He reminds them of how evil the times are. And basically, they're evil. Why? Because Satan is the god of this world. You want to know why there's so much evil, there's so much wickedness? There's, it's because of who the god of this world is. It's Satan. He is the god of this world. He is the prince and power of the air. So Paul tells from prison the church in Ephesus that they are to redeem the time for the days of evil. But it's also in this letter to the church in Ephesus that he tells them that they need to put on the whole armor of God. They need to strap that armor on. He reminds them that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness and the high places. He makes sure that that church in Ephesus understand who they're literally doing battle against. How many times have I preached on the whole armor of God? I have no idea, but a bunch. How many times have I preached on Ephesians where it talks about redeem the time for the days of evil? A bunch. And when I've preached on it before, I guess I am, and I'm just as guilty as this. When I've preached on it in the past, it was always... In an hopefully in an inspirational manner, with a quaintness. To all you believers, put on the whole armor of God. And we sit back in, in, with the idea of, oh, those believers back in those days, that's what they needed to do. And we viewed it, we recognized it as something in times past 
and we love to hear those stories, and we're inspired, yes, we need to put on the whole armor of God. And we hear that, and we study that, and then we're thinking, is my roast getting done? I wonder what time that kickoff is. I wonder if I'm going to get out of here in time for that. And we hear these sermons in times past, and we think of them as quaint devotional lessons. And folks, I'm here to tell you, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and living in this time, we need to recognize that we better be taking those admonitions seriously. We need to understand that to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, he'd already told them about these things, recognizing what's coming. To, the church, to, to young Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.1, he tells Timothy, in the last days perilous times shall come. And he describes the conditions that are going to exist. This know also that in the last days, which days do you think he was talking about? Folks, we are there. I believe with all my heart. We are all there. Yet we can hear all those quaint, inspirational, oh, weren't they faithful back then type sermons. And we can learn from them and we can be blessed by them. But I'm telling you, we better start understanding that what was going on there, Satan has not changed his tactics. And as the church, the body of Christ, as those who love God and desire to serve Him, we, I am convinced, about to face the same type of persecution. We already see happening right becoming wrong, wrong becoming right. And when you stand for right and the truth of God's Word, the world that hates you anyway, they are going to see you as the evil ones. They're going to see you as being in the wrong. They're going to see you as not being very tolerant as they try to squash you in your opinion. It's coming if we're not already there. The last days, perilous times shall come. You ever been to Disneyland or Six Flags or at the airport, even in the mall? You see these directories, and you, you look on the directory, and there's always a little star, and it says, you were there, you're, you know, you're here. Well, that, we need one for biblical times now. We need a map that says, you are here, and I think what it would do is it would send us to our knees realizing exactly where we are in God's timing as we prepare for it. In that same letter to Timothy, in that same chapter where Paul is talking about perilous times shall come, in verse 12, he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
as he's talking about the last days, as he's providing that scenario of what's going to take place in the last days, perilous times shall come, he also tells them all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Pastor, you've been, you've become obsessed with all of that stuff that's going on. Now, folks, what I'm obsessed with is trying to prepare your hearts and minds what I believe the future holds. I believe we're there. And I would not be pastoring this church the way God has called me to pastor it. I would not be preaching from God's Word the way that God lays it on my heart during the week as I'm praying. Yes, I, I'm, I, I see things that are happening. It, it troubles me greatly on one hand. I got a call early this morning from my granddaughter. And left a message, happy birthday, Papa. I love you to the moon and back and a whole lot further. Now, I would much rather get into that. I would much rather concentrate on that. And because of my love for Sadie and my grandkids and my kids and your grandkids and your kids, it concerns me what's coming. So I am not obsessed fearfully, but I want to make sure that we, have, that we are stilling our hearts and our minds to the prospects of what could take place and praying like crazy for a revival, for an awakening to take place across, across the land. And I think the key to understanding this book, as Paul writes to Timothy, remember last week we talked about Titus, the kind of man Titus was? Well, Timothy and Titus were two different types of men, but they were both dynamic pastors. But where Titus was as tough as nails, Timothy was just a little more subdued. He was a little more fragile. He was a little weaker. We talked about the, the church Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he, and he told the church in Corinth, don't cause Timothy to be fearful. He writes to the same church about Titus, and he says, don't let him scare you. But both men were serving God, dedicated to the cause of Christ, understanding what was going on, understanding that, that there were difficult times, there was persecution going on, but boy, they were preaching God's Word, they were teaching God's Word, and the keys to understanding what Paul was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this pastor was persevere, Timothy. you got to persevere. You need to understand. Don't be ignorant as to what's taking place. Yes, God is on His throne. You belong to Him. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Him. Serve Him with gladness. But don't stick your head in the sand and not understand what's going on. Be prepared to persevere. And, and basically, of all the Bible characters 
that I would recommend you have the, uh, the spirit of? It'd be Job. Because what does Job say? Though you slay me, still I'll serve you. Man, that's what God has called us to do. It's to be like Job. Lord, though you, regardless of what happens, regardless of what the future brings, it is going to find me praising God. It is going to find me serving God. It is going to find me being faithful to God in all that I do and all that I say for His glory. That is what the church, the body of Christ is called to do. It's to persevere and to endure hardness, just like a good soldier. I, th I think it's interesting that as you study the book of 2 Timothy, you know, the whole idea, the concept is persevere. Here in America, here in 21st century Christianity, our idea of persevering is coming and listening to a boring sermon. You thought about that? Our, our idea of persevering is sitting on a hard pew and not in comfortable chairs. Or that's enduring hardness. Steadfast. Be steadfast is what he told Timothy to be. Multiple imperatives, multiple imperatives to Timothy as he pastored that church there in Ephesus. He tells Timothy to stir up that gift. Stir up that gift that he has, that gift to preach that gift to share the doctrine, that gift to, to pastor those people and lead those people. You stir up that gift. I imagine Timothy was the kind of guy that most men probably just wouldn't follow automatically. But there was something about him. He was controlled by the Holy Spirit. In the, he, as he stood to preach, as he led, people could, they witnessed, they understood he demonstrated the power of God working in his life. He stirred up that gift. Paul tells Timothy during these troubling times to hold fast. Hold f I'm sure there were times that Timothy said, I, hey, I've had enough of this. If I just go along with the world, maybe this persecution will stop. Maybe if I'll just get on board, get on their wagon, maybe some of this persecution will stop. Well, then again, maybe never, that never crossed his mind. He told him not to be ashamed. Look at 2 Timothy 1. Read verse 8 again. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Well, why do you suppose he told him, for God's not given us the spirit of fear? There was a lot of persecution going on. 
And it, amongst all that fear and all of that trouble and all of that persecution and all of that distress, Paul writes to him and says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Don't be ashamed. Hold fast. Be aware, Timothy, of all that's going on. And I think that part about be aware of all that's going on means let all the other folks know what's happening also. Don't be aware, but keep it to yourself. I don't think that was part of the plan. Timothy, be aware of what's going on. Proclaim the Word of God. Stand firm. Hold fast. He tells him to study, to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, telling him he needed to study, to show himself approved unto God. Tells him, Timothy, flee youthful lusts. All of those things he was covering with this young pastor because of all that they were facing. Avoid vain babblings. Of all of those, I think I like that one the most. Avoid arguments. These vain babblings, these people that are trying to uh, persuade you to, to not believe, they, they're trying to persuade you to take a different road, just don't pay them any attention. Avoid vain babblings. What a tremendous responsibility that Timothy had as he pastored that church. And above all, he made sure that he understood that regardless of what was going on, Christ Jesus is worthy of those afflictions. He is worthy of serving. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our praise. What a responsibility. Look at 2 Timothy 4. We read this last week as we were talking about Timothy uh, or Titus, and we brought Timothy into it last week. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, Timothy gets more instruction as to what he is to do in the midst of all the persecution and the afflictions that are taking place. Verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. In other words, always be prepared to take a stand for the Lord Jesus. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering in doctrine. We talked about that last week, remember? Verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Folks, we're there. Ooh, are we there. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. There's that again. 
you do understand that knowing the Lord Jesus as your Savior is not going to cause you to escape afflictions and persecution and difficult times, right? People think, well, I've got to get my life right, so I've got to start going to church and everything's going to get good. I'm telling you, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Hey, yeah, it's good to have a church family. It's good to come together to worship. It's good to come and praise God. And we better take advantage of it every time we can as a church family. But that does not mean that us coming together and, and getting your life right does not mean, well, I'm going to find a church and I'm going to go there. Getting your life right with God means understanding that Jesus Christ is Savior, and by faith you trust Him and believe on Him. And you become reconciled. You become made a new creation in Christ. That you get saved. That's how you get right with God. But watch thou in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Make sure people recognize your ministry. Fulfill that ministry. Fulfill that calling that's on your life. Make sure no one doubts by your efforts that you are called of God. Verse 6, I, I, I like the way Paul starts ending this as the Holy Spirit moves on him. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He was about to be martyred. He had been cast into prison by Nero, and he understood this is it. There's not going to be another release. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which to the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I hope this morning you love his appearing. I hope this morning that you are encouraged when we open up saying, Maranatha, our Lord comes. I hope that you do, as many of you tell me you do, as you get up in the morning, you're wondering, is today the day? And you go through the day wondering, is it going to be any second that the Lord calls us home, that we're raptured and caught up to be with the Lord? I hope you love his appearing. There is a special reward. There is a crown of righteousness reserved for those who love his appearing. And I hope that is you. One of the most overwhelming things that Paul tells Timothy to do, and that is to guard that precious deposit, to guard that, that thing that had been committed to his trust. Of all the things that he was telling Timothy, he, he reminded of him of this in his first letter to him, and then he brought it back up in the second letter to guard that precious deposit. Protect that thing that had been committed to your trust, Timothy. 
the things that you've learned of me among many witnesses, the same you commit thou to faithful men. In other words, Timothy, you make sure the church, the people understand that mystery. That You make sure they understand the dispensation of the grace of God. You protect it. It's been committed to your trust. You preach it. You stand for it. You proclaim it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, t- verse 20. When you study all the things that Paul had talked to Timothy about, he, uh, that first letter, he concludes it by saying, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid avoiding profane and vain babblings in oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Again in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He reminds Timothy of that which he is to guard, he is to protect, he is to proclaim. Verse 13. Well, let's start with verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. This is Paul talking to Timothy. For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have that that I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's the truth of that mystery. The thing that Paul told the church in in Ephesus. He told the church in Colossae. He talked to the church in Rome about that mystery, that dispensation of, of grace that we are proclaiming, that truth that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that Jew and Gentile by faith can come to know God intimately, can be made new creations by grace through faith. Paul told Timothy, Be committed to that truth. Be committed to making sure that people understand that we're under grace. We're not under the law. That whosoever will, let him come. All of those truths. Paul said, Timothy, be committed to those truths. But also from this letter, we also learn that so many had abandoned Paul abandoned that message even before Paul was offered up. I think that's extraordinary. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 14, we just read, but read it again. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. They're all turned away. Every one of those in Asia, and I believe they turned away from the grace message. 
they had already, the Judaizers had come up and they'd already started missing, mixing grace and law. And you got to do this to be saved. You got to do that to be saved. When the whole gospel of the grace of God, what Paul calls my gospel, just like it was called the law of Moses, Paul calls the, the message of grace my gospel. The good news is Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again. Believe it, and God does a work in your life and changes you completely. There are no works involved. Paul calls that my gospel. That's the thing that God had delivered to me to preach, just as God had delivered unto Moses the law, and it was referred to as the law of Moses. Paul refers to the gospel, the grace of God, as my gospel. That gospel had already, you talk about persecution and afflictions and difficult times, that truth was already being lost back then. All those of Asia have departed me. Oh, in 410, I, 2 Timothy 410, I, to me this is one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. I, I just, I hate, the, well, I hate what happened. Verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Look at verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, oh my, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Demas. He loved this present world and has departed. Well, how many believers can that be said about down through the ages? I hope it's never said about any of us. He loved this present world. He departed. Where in Colossians, he was writing to the church in Colossians, and he was talking about how Demas is with me, and he's a faithful servant, and he's working, and he's doing all of this. To Philemon, verse 24, Philemon, he talks about Demas and how effective Demas is. And he was there to serve. And it's not until this last letter that we hear of this young Christian, this Demas, he's forsaken me, having loved this present world. How tragic is that? But how common, how absolute common it is. Verse 14 in 2 Timothy uh, 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Look at verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. All men forsook me. And I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. See, that's what happens during times of persecution. That's what happens during times of affliction. That's what happens during times of stressful situations. But folks, we need to be Titus's. We need to be Timothy's. We need not to be Demas's and Alexander the coppersmith. We need to realize that Jesus Christ is the worthy one. That he is worthy of suffering for. He is worthy of dying for. More importantly, he's worthy of living for. Amen? Amen. 
And if you could just bring all this to a close, basically what Paul is saying to Timothy through this entire book is he's telling Timothy, carry on, carry on, carry on. And I believe what God would say to the church in St. Louis, St. Louis Bible Fellowship, saints, carry on, carry on. Regardless of what is going on, regardless of what the news reports, regardless of what politicians declare, regardless of what horrible, frightening, concerning things are coming across uh, the airwaves and, and things that we are being bombarded with on a constant basis, we need to understand that God is calling us to be faithful servants, calling us to be those that gladly, gladly endure afflictions, gladly will endure the persecution that may come, all the time praying, praying for revival praying for revival. I hope my 90th birthday when we're all together that you're going to say, you remember that sermon you preached way back on your 49th birthday? Well, give a few years. Do you, you remember that sermon where you were so concerned about what was going on and you told us to, to be faithful. And Marge is coming up to me and she's going to, you know, and shaking her finger and saying, I remember that sermon. I'm hoping by then a revival has broken out. I hope that the message of God's grace is being proclaimed that people have been saved, that a revival has swept across this land. And when I say a revival, I'm talking about the church waking up. And then the awakening takes place with those who are lost and they understand that Jesus saves. By faith they believe. But until then, God's Word tells us that we are to be on guard, God's Word tells us that we're to be steadfast. God's Word tells us we're to study. God's Word tells us we're to be strong. And quite frankly, that same book, not to get tangled up in the affairs of this world. I think that's a pretty good advice. Not to get so involved but to endure the hardness as a good soldier. And when we're all in glory, when we're all in heaven, we can talk about how good God was, how faithful God was during these times. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Father, as we stand here, we desire to serve you. We desire to be counted for you. Father, we desire to be soldiers of the cross. Father, we desire to let others see you in us 
as we proclaim your wonderful truth that Jesus saves. Father, we come understanding that the days ahead could be extremely challenging, that affliction galore could be headed our way. But Father, may, not, may that not quell our spirit for faithful service, loving you, desiring to serve you. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted you as Savior, that Father, this will be the day that they don't want to take another breath. They do not want to live another minute apart from you. And by faith believe that you paid the debt they owed and by faith they trust you as Savior. And they become that new creation in Christ. Father, understanding that it's not by works of righteousness that they've done. Father, it's by your matchless, wonderful grace, not by works, that they come before you and place all of their faith and their trust in you, Father believing that Christ died for their sins. Father, we might grow in Christ together. We pray all these things in that name that's above all other names. The name of the one that every knee is going to bow to, including ours. That every tongue is going to confess to, including ours. For your glory. Father, that day could be very, very soon. May we understand that. And may we live accordingly. We pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.